0: If you'll notice, we have some sheep with us here today. You won't hear them. They're silent sheep. (laughs) So in the whole of Scripture, we see God describing himself as a shepherd. And we see him using the picture and the metaphor of sheep to describe his people. Now, we are going to fall in love with the picture of God as our shepherd... But the picture of us as sheep, maybe not so much, right? Sheep, as we were told in the clip, they're not smart animals. And as I studied about them and, and learned about them a little more, I discovered they're really not smart animals. They have no defense mechanism. They have no way to decide where is the proper area for them to find food. They will drink the nastiest water that they come across. They just are not smart. And they have a desperate and dependent need for a shepherd. And so when we see on page 99, this comes from Ezekiel chapter 34, 1 through 10, we see this very detailed description of the father as the shepherd. And I want us to catch a glimpse of this because it is the backdrop for which Jesus uses to make the statement that he makes about being the good shepherd. So let's just read through this together. It says there at the top of the page, And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel, prophesy and say to them. Thus says the Lord God to the shepherds, Woe to the shepherds of Israel who feed themselves! Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? You eat the fat and clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fatlings, but you do not feed the flock. The weak you have not strengthened, nor have you healed those who are sick, nor bound up the broken, nor brought back what was driven away, nor sought what was lost. But with force and cruelty you have ruled them. So they were scattered because they had no shepherd and they became food for all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. My sheep wandered through the mountains and on every high hill. Yes, my flock was scattered over the whole face of the earth and no one was seeking or searching for them. As we read through that passage, we see the heart of the father and it is heavy with love and desire for his flock, for his sheep. And he's speaking against those false shepherds of Israel. As we have been studying through the book of John and catching these glimpses of Jesus amongst the people, we have seen that these Pharisees and leaders of the Jewish people have become so angry toward him. And they have had confrontations with Jesus repeatedly and it will only grow worse as he draws nearer to the cross. These are the types of people that God is speaking of. These were the leaders of the Jewish people. They should have been feeding the flock with the truth of God's word. They should have been loving them and caring for them, but instead they imposed man-made rules on them and they oppressed the people and this broke the very heart of God because they were not the example of the shepherd that our Father is. And so he goes on to say to Ezekiel there in verses 11 through 16 of chapter 10, For thus says the Lord God, Indeed, I myself will search for my sheep and seek them out. As a a shepherd seeks out the flock on the day he is among his scattered sheep, So I will seek out my sheep and deliver them from all the places where they were scattered on a cloudy and dark day. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them to their own land. I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, in the valleys, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them in good pasture, and their fold shall be on the high mountains of Israel." There they shall lie down in a good fold and feed in rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will make them lie down, says the Lord God. I will seek what was lost and bring back what was driven away, bind up the broken and strengthen what was sick. But I will destroy the fat and the strong and feed them in judgment. This is the heart of the true shepherd. And we begin to see his heart really beating outside of his chest as we witness what Jesus does in John chapter 9 and in John chapter 10. As we see Jesus walking amongst the people, healing and calling them and bringing them and drawing them in. And last week we saw him feeding them. He is doing all of these things that God outlined in Ezekiel that said he that he said he will do himself. We've heard Jesus say I do what I have seen my father doing. And that's what we'll witness in this glimpse that we catch of Jesus today. In John chapter 9, we are still in the same time period as when Jesus made the statement, I am the light of the world. Remember, it is that feast time, and he has been through some confrontational moments with those Pharisees, and much is happening there in the temple area and the surrounding areas. There are still many people who are present in Jerusalem. And as we come to chapter 9, Jesus is passing by. And in verse 1, he saw a man who was blind from birth. Now, there were those who would beg in the temple area and who would seek opportunities, especially during the feast time, to have many, many people surrounding them so that they could beg and make more money on those days. So here is a man who is blind and he is begging, and it says in verse 2, Jesus' disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, <clears throat> Excuse me, that he was born blind? So there was the misunderstanding that somehow this man must have some. Somehow his parents, his family, they must have caused this condition that he had. And Jesus speaks to this. He says, neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. I must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. The night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And then in verse 6, when he had said these things, he spat on the ground and made clay... With the saliva. And he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay. Now, I want you to catch that little phrase. In my version in the New King James, it says he anointed the eyes of the blind man. We're gonna talk about that anointing when we come to Psalm 23 and what that means as a shepherd anoints the sheep. But when we see this in this moment, what is happening is there is an act of creation taking place. Somehow Jesus there is performing this miraculous act of creating new eyes for this man so that he is able to see. And so then it says in verse 7, And he said to him, Go, wash in the pool of Siloam, which is translated sent. So he went and washed and came back seeing Again, it's everything in me to hold back and not to really, really stay there. But as you go through your study this week, you'll spend more time thinking about what happened in this miracle and what took place there and maybe even how this man must have felt. But we need to continue. In verse 8, "...therefore the neighbors and those who previously had seen that he was blind said, Is this not he who sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he." So there was this discrepancy. This cannot be the man who could not see. He'd been here for so long and we know him and and he was never able to see. How could this be? And so they're trying to understand what has taken place. And there in verse 10, so they begin to ask, how were your eyes opened? He answered and said, a man called Jesus made clay and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and I received sight. Then they said to him, Where is he? He said, I do not know. They brought him who was formerly blind to the Pharisees. Now it was a Sabbath when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then the Pharisees also asked him again how he had received his sight. He said to them, He put clay on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, This man is not from God, because he does not keep the Sabbath. Who cares that a miracle had just occurred right in front of them? What we really need to be concerned about is he didn't keep our law, and he did this on the Sabbath, right? And so you see right there this picture of oppression that these leaders have over their people. Instead of rejoicing that one of those under their leadership was just given this miraculous healing They focused on the man-made rule that was broken by Jesus. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. They begin to question the blind man, and then they bring in his parents, and they begin to question them and his parents, because they were fearful of a new law that had been made that said if anyone says that they believe in Jesus as the Messiah, they will be put out of the synagogue... They turned the Pharisees back to their son and they said, he's of age, just ask him, deal with him. They did not want to be involved. And so then we come down to verse 27 as the Pharisees and the leaders are questioning him again and they say to him, how did he open your eyes? How did this happen? In verse 27, he says, I told you already and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? I love that. They didn't love it so much. Then they reviled him and said, You were his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. And we know that God spoke to Moses. As for this fellow, we do not know where he is from. And then I love what happens next, and you'll dip deeper into it in your study. There in verse 30, the man answered and said to them, Why, this is a marvelous thing that you do not know where he is from, yet he has opened my eyes. Now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. Since the world began, it has been unheard of that anyone opened the eyes of one who was born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. And so what he's explaining to them is listen, this has never been heard of, and he's right. In the Old Testament, we do not have a record of anyone who was born blind being made to see. Jesus had done something completely new. And this man was recognizing, oh, he must be more than what we think he is. And so, as the story goes on, the Pharisees are angry, the leaders are angry, and they cast him out of the synagogue. And that is heartbreaking. Because here is a man who had been an outcast for his whole life. He'd been left to beg and not a part of anything or of anyone. And really, his own family, as you walk through those verses, we see that they did not rally to him. They did not stand up for him. And here he was having his first opportunity that he could come in and he could be a part of the synagogue. And yet, because of what he knew about Jesus, what he thought about Jesus and what he began to believe about Jesus, they threw him out. But go back in your mind to what we read about what God said he will do as the good shepherd and watch what Jesus does next. There in verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out and when he had found him he said to him do you believe in the son of god he answered and said who is he lord that i may believe in him and jesus said to him you have both seen him and it is he who is talking with you in verse 38 then he said lord i believe and he worshiped him and it goes on there to this discussion, again, between the Pharisees and Jesus. But I wanted us to stop for just a moment to see exactly what God said about himself as the good shepherd is what we see in his son. He came to seek him, the one who had been cast out, and he brought him in to the fold of God. He gave him the truth and the truth set him free and the truth brought him in. And he became a sheep of the good shepherd, Jesus Christ. And so as we walk through these different passages and we see this constant tension between the people, we don't want to miss the beauty of what is taking place. It's not just the miracle. It's not just the healing, and that is incredible, but it is the salvation of the souls that are taking place and the fold that is being brought together as this new sheep is brought in. And then we jump to chapter 10, and Jesus begins to speak about what is going on here, what is taking place here. He says, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice." Yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. Then Jesus said to them again, most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. So as Jesus speaks about himself being the door, he gives this picture, this word picture to the people that should have been very familiar to them because they saw shepherds everywhere with their flocks of sheep all around them, and at night there would be this central location where they would bring the sheep together, and many shepherds would bring their sheep into the same area, the same kind of pen, and there would be a person who would there at the front kind of serve as the door of protection for the sheep during the night. And then in the morning when the shepherds would return to get their sheep, maybe they were just camping right outside of the fold, but when they would come to that opening to call their sheep, they would simply call to them whatever special call they had for the sheep. They may even call them by name because the shepherds named their sheep. And as the sheep made their way out, they would be so joyful as they went out to eat and to to, um, graze during that day. And then when the evening came and it was time for them to come back, the shepherd would lead them back to the pen. They would come in together. They would all kind of mix in there. And as they walked through that opening, the shepherd would take his rod and he would hold it over the opening and he would count his sheep as they went in. And he would inspect them as they passed underneath. And there was great care that was taken, and we'll see more of that in just a minute when we go to Psalm 23. But all of this would happen because the shepherd knew his sheep, cared for his sheep, and his sheep knew the shepherd. Yet as he tells this very familiar picture, they just don't get it. Their eyes are blinded. To the truth, And as Jesus proclaims himself there as the door saying, I am the way in, I am the way out, what he's saying is, I am the way out of all of this oppression, these man-made laws that you have cast on the people. I am the way out of that to freedom and to joy. But I am the way in to salvation. I am the only way. Any other way that you have heard, anyone else, any false shepherd who has tried to lead you astray, their point has been to steal you away. Their desire has been to kill you for what you could offer them. They are not the shepherd you should follow, and their voices should never entice you to go with them. And so he goes on to talk to them about what it means to be the good shepherd. There in verse 11, he says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd gives his life for his sheep. But a hireling, he who is not the shepherd, one who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf catches the sheep and scatters them. The hireling flees because he's a hireling and does not care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. And I know my sheep and am known by my own. As the Father knows me, even so I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have which are not of this fold, them also I must bring. And they will hear my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. This is that Old Testament picture that God had presented in Ezekiel. He talks about there being this one shepherd and this one fold. And what he's talking about there is the children of Israel, those who believe in Jesus as the Messiah, along with the Gentiles, who are those other sheep who will come and who will join in and become one fold. The point of all of that is that each one of these sheep recognize Jesus as the good shepherd. They recognize him as the Messiah. All of the other false teachers, all of the other false leaders, they are not the true and good shepherd that Jesus is. And so in our minds as we read through these passages and as you'll spend much more time with them this week, we automatically go back to a very familiar chapter in Scripture, probably the most familiar chapter of all, back to Psalm 23. So I rushed through to get us there because I want us to dwell on Psalm 23 for a few moments to see what does this good shepherd really look like? What does he do? How does he think? How does he care for his sheep? And we want to take all of that that we've seen there in the New Testament coupled with what God said about the good shepherd in Ezekiel, and we want it all to kind of funnel down into this picture that we're presented of the shepherd in Psalm 23. Now, I know you'll be tempted to do what I am tempted to do anytime I go to a familiar passage like this, especially one that may have been used um, possibly at a funeral, possibly in other um, emotional times of life. We're very tempted in our minds to go to those places, but I really want us to kind of hone in and I want us to think about what it would be like to actually know and understand that way of life. One thing that really helped me to grasp it a little bit better was I went through this book called The Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. Has anyone else read this book? It's an older book, um, still easy to find on Amazon. I have a couple of copies if you'd like to look at one. But what he does, this is a man who has had many occupations. But the one that he speaks of in this book is when for several years he was a shepherd. And he goes through Psalm 23 and he takes each of those verses and explains what would really be happening Behind the context of the passage. And he helps us to understand how a shepherd takes his sheep through a year in their life. And he says that Psalm 23 really is a picture of a shepherd dealing with his sheep over a period of a year. He talks about how the shepherd will go up and make a journey into the higher grounds for the summer and they will spend their summers um, on higher ground where there is much good pasture. And he talks about the journey to get there and how difficult that is. And then he goes through that time of rest during the summer in those good pastures. And then he talks about having to come back down in the winter and return back to the homeland. It's a fascinating read. I wish we just had time to sit and read it all together, but we don't. So we'll jump into Psalm 23, if you'll turn there in your Bible, and we'll spend just a few minutes looking at this very familiar passage together. First, we come to that opening verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? Many of us can say this by memory, and in my Bible, it's all marked up and and all written all over, almost to the point where I can't read the words anymore, so it's a good thing that as a child, we're taught to memorize this psalm, right? In this very opening statement, the Lord is my shepherd, one point that we want to catch is David does not say, the Lord is the shepherd. He's not some random shepherd, right? He's not some shepherd of some other sheep, The Lord is my shepherd. This is very personal and very intimate as we walk into these verses. And he says, he's my shepherd and I shall not want. Now David, as a shepherd himself, knew what it meant for a sheep to have needs and for a sheep to want. Not only are sheep not very smart animals, but they are also very fidgety. If anything disturbs them in any way, shape, or form, they will try to run away. They're not quick, so they, if it's a predator that's coming, they don't have much luck there, but their first response is just to try to run away. That means oftentimes they run away from good food. It means they run away from clean water. It means they run into dangerous places, and so they can find themselves in want, And as I read the book, it talked about those that the sheep that constantly run away and constantly seek other pasture, that they can get themselves trapped and they can die because they can't get back to the good pasture unless the shepherd comes and finds them. He also talked about when he had his sheep, that there was another shepherd who had land that was adjacent to his and he did not care for his sheep at all. And he said those sheep would come to the fence and he would see them and they would be all emaciated and they would be diseased and just have so many problems and they would long for the good pasture that they saw on the other side of the fence. This is not the picture that we're given right here at the beginning. We're given the picture of those fat sheep you know, that look good and healthy, those sheep that are well cared for, those sheep that are groomed and their coats are glistening and their eyes are bright because they lack for nothing, right? This is the kind of shepherd that our Lord is, the one who causes us to lack for nothing, He goes on there and he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. Sheep will not lie down if there's any sense of fear, if there's any sense of friction, if there's any need of hunger or of thirst, and if there is any irritation by parasites. We'll talk about that more in just a minute. So if they're uncomfortable in any way, shape or form, they will not lie down. And as I read in the book, it talked about how the sheep would be at rest when the shepherd was present among them. That when he would walk into their midst, it was easier for them to lie down, to rest, and to be calm. And so he would spend a lot of time with his sheep. He would be in their presence very often. And as they gathered around him, they would find rest there in these green pastures. We also see that as the good shepherd makes them lie down in green pastures, he has found a resting place full of food for them. And as a shepherd, he would often have to go out maybe when the sheep are in the fold, and he'd have to find the pasture that would be the right place for them. So he was constantly thinking about what is it that they need? What is the best place for them? Where will they feel comfortable? Where is a place that is not full of rocks and and danger and holes and, and a possibility of predators? And so he would find that place, and that's where he would lead them. And there in his presence, they would lie down and rest or they would get up and eat because it was the good pasture. Then it says, he leads me beside the still waters, and I'm sure you've heard before that sheep will not drink from running water. They need the water to be still. They want it to be calm. He finds those clean springs for them, those places where the water is calm and not rushing. Oftentimes that meant that shepherds would have to dam up a place so that the pools would be there still and waiting for the sheep. Another aspect of this that I read about in uh, Philip Keller's book was that in those green pastures, in the morning, early, early, and in the evening, there would be a heavy dew that would fall on those pastures. And the sheep would, as they graze, take in that water. They were taking in water when they didn't even know they were taking in water. We get the picture that God provides for us in ways that we don't even realize he's providing for us. And so, as we see this good shepherd leading the sheep into those good pastures and also beside those still waters, something happens because of what he has done in their life. Look there in verse three. He restores my soul, he leads me in the path of righteousness. That through this process, restoration comes. We think about what Jesus did with the blind man, he restored his sight but he also restored his soul as he brought true salvation to him. We think about how a shepherd cares for his sheep, and what he does is he makes sure that if there is conflict, you know, he separates those sheep and calms them down. If there's a predator, he drives it away. If there's irritation, he takes care of it. He brings refreshment and restoration to the animal just as God brings refreshment and restoration to his sheep, to our soul. How does he do that? He does it through the love that he provides for us and the truth that comes from his word. So we think about what we feed on in the good pasture. We feed on his word day after day, and we there find restoration for our soul. Now, why does he do this? He does this at the end of verse 3 for his namesake. In the days of the Old Testament and also in the New Testament, it wasn't a great um, stand. You didn't have a great standing in society to be a shepherd. But if you were a shepherd, you certainly wanted your sheep to appear healthy, well-fed, well-taken care of. That was a reflection of the type of shepherd that you were. And so as we see that God does this, the Lord does this for his name's sake. He wants us to be sheep that are thriving, sheep that are contented, sheep that are at peace, whose souls are restored, because this brings glory to his name. And so we see the good shepherd, the shepherd of Psalm 23, is a shepherd who can be glorified. Then it says there in verse 4, this is the part that we don't like much. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. We are never promised as followers of Christ that our way will be easy. We are never promised that we will not have any struggle, that we will not have any difficulty. As a matter of fact, we're told the opposite. We're told that in this world we will face trouble, but do not lose heart because Jesus has overcome the world. As we follow our shepherd, the overcomer, we have no reason to fear. We see that even in this phrasing, he says we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. Death is but a shadow. We have nothing to fear of it. The reason we do not have to fear is because our shepherd is with us. He is present And as Philip Keller described the journey up to the high mountains, he said that he had to take the sheep through very difficult, harsh terrain and that there would be danger on each side. As they made their way up the mountainous trails, they could easily slip and fall. And it was during that time that the shepherd would stay so very close to his sheep, making sure that each one of them had the right place to step. Each one of them was in line in the way they needed to be. Each one of them stayed in the path that they needed to go for protection. And we can think about those times that we struggle, those times that we suffer, those valleys that we go through as we follow the Lord Jesus, that he is near, he is close. I know if you've experienced any type of painful situation in your life, you would not say, oh, I just want to go back through that again, right? I'd like to make that journey again. No, no. None of us would say that. But so many times when we're on the other side of it, we say, I wouldn't want to go through it again, but I would not trade the closeness of the Father. Right? It is in those times the shepherd is very near to us. And this is what we see here in this picture. And then he says the rod and the staff are a comfort. The rod was used as a mo- method of defense. And the shepherd would take that rod. And if there was any type of animal coming to try to attack the sheep, he would use it to fight that animal off. And he would use it to you know, make sure that nothing could get near them, nothing could attack them. He also used that rod, as we talked about, as a counting line that he would have those sheep pass under it, and he would inspect them as they came through, making sure they had no injuries, nothing going on with them that they needed help with. And then it talks about his staff. This is, as we saw in the video, that crook that we can picture in our mind. It was used to get at a sheep who had fallen. If it fallen into um, a spot where it could not get out, or if it was cast down, kind of turned over on its back and could not stand up and right itself, the shepherd would use that staff, turn it over and grab the sheep and help him to safety. So as we see the shepherd walking with that rod and that staff, it brings great comfort. We know that we're protected. We know that he cares for us. We know that if anything happens, he will find us and he will bring us back. But also that rod is used for correction. There are times when a sheep runs and wants to get away from the group and he would use that rod to throw at that sheep and maybe knock him off his feet a little. It was used for a correction in the life of the sheep. And for us, we know that God uses his word to correct us. And that should bring comfort. He will not allow us to go too far from the fold. He wants to bring us back. And then it says, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. This last section really seems to draw in to an even more intimate picture that we have with the Father as he prepares a table in the presence of our enemies. Meaning that even when we are in the midst of what we can consider to be our enemies, the enemy of this world, those things that seek to attack us or oppress us in this world, we need not fear God will set a table for us. He will nourish us even in the presence of those enemies. And then as it speaks about anointing the head with oil, the way the shepherds would care for the sheep is when they passed under the rod and the shepherd began to inspect them, if there was any sight of um, parasites or bugs that were on the face of the sheep, that could cause horrible danger in the lives of those sheep. They could become so agitated and so upset about having those bugs on their face that they could literally drive themselves to death because they would begin to bang their heads and hit their heads on the ground and, and, and run wild and do crazy things because of the frustration of having this irritation on their face. And then it could lead to infection and other horrible things that we will not talk about right here, right now, because it's really gross. But what we need to know is this, that as the shepherd began to inspect the sheep for these types of bugs, you see there in the picture, they've got all that wool coming down. He would begin to lift that wool and look deeply into their eyes and into their nose and in their mouth and all around their face. And then he would take oil and he would begin to rub it into the faces of each one of those animals, each one of those sheep individually. And as he did this, it would bring a soothing ointment to their skin, but also a protection from those bugs and irritants. And as we see the intimacy in this picture, this is when you can picture the shepherd holding that little sheep's face so close to his own to see, is there anything wrong? Is there anything you need? Is there anything I need to do for you? And then he would take his hands and he would begin to rub that oil and just massage it into their face, bringing refreshment and rest and peace. And we see that picture here at the end of this psalm. And we think about, out of all of it, I think that is the picture that that just grasps me and gets me the most, to think that the Father takes our face into his hands, and he begins to inspect us thinking and saying, is there anything that you need? Is there anything that is happening? Is there anything that is upsetting you? And as he lovingly takes that moment, he rubs in that refreshment and that oil that we need, that protection, And we think about that time with the father. You know, it's really only found when we're alone with him and when we're quiet before him. And so many times we find ourselves running like skittish sheep all around trying to solve our problems ourselves or trying to take care of ourselves when actually if we'll just stop and let the father minister to us as the good shepherd does we'll find that he has everything we could possibly want and need and desire, so much so that our cup will overflow, we'll experience goodness and mercy, and we'll know that we have nothing to fear on this earth because there is coming a day when we will dwell in his house forever and forever and forever. That is the picture of the good shepherd. That is where you'll be this week. I hope as you sit with him and I hope as you spend time with him that you will feel the refreshment of his word flowing over you. I hope that you will experience the abundance of his great love for you. I hope that you'll remember that there is coming a day when you will be with him forever, when I will be with him forever. But we know that can only happen if, just like that blind man, Our spiritual eyes are open to the truth that Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He is the door. He is the good shepherd. He is the way to salvation. Oh, I hope you have a good week of study. I'm going to warn you, there's some typos. Just look past them and forgive me. I pray for you this week and that it is a blessing and that you are able to feel and know the presence of our good shepherd. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, there's never enough time. I just feel like, Lord, that we could sit in your presence forever, for the rest of this day, certainly, and we could learn and grow and hear how you minister to us. And we are so very thankful. But, God, we don't look at this passage only to see the benefits for us. We look at it to know this is who you are. God, you don't have to be this way, but you are. And we are thankful We are thankful that you love us with a tenderness, with a gentleness. God, that you bring restoration to our souls, that you open our blind eyes, that you protect us. And God, that your desire is that we would be contented sheep who are at peace and who are at rest so that others could look in and say, I want to follow that shepherd. I want to know him. Lord, let that be so. We pray if there are those in our lives today that do not know you, but they do know us, that our lives will point to you, God, and we'll be able to share with those who need to know you. This is the way to the shepherd. God, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace and your mercy and your goodness. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.